0: This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that cannot be complained about by the host of this show, John Syracuse. I'm Dan Benjamin. This is episode number 34. I'd like to say thanks for uh, bandwidth, which has been provided by Midas Green Tech, virtual private servers submerged in oil. Get your free bandwidth today at com slash five by five. We'd also like to say thanks to our two sponsors, CampaignMonitor.com and Shopify.com, who will tell you about them more as the show goes on. How are you doing this week, John Syracuse? I'm pretty good. Fair? Yeah. Not great? Busy week. Busy week. Exciting week. Exciting for, for the Windows users among us.
1: I, I'm excited. I'm not a Windows user, and I'm excited. You're
0: excited to become, to become a Windows user,
1: perhaps. Not really, but I'm excited <laughs> about the events of the week.
0: Like what? What besides Windows oh. 8 uh, or the big events? Metro.
1: That, that's basically it.
0: That's yeah. it. The events we'll of the talk. week is Metro.
1: Yeah. We'll talk about that, but I do have to burn through some follow-up here. Okay, burn it out. Try to do some uh, lightning-fast corrections.
0: Lightning so, rounds, take yeah. one.
1: Last week, we actually it'd be like lightning F-U-L-F-U. Uh, LFU is an acronym used for something already. Okay. An abbreviation, sorry. Uh, so, Oh, we get to we
0: go into the difference between an acronym and an abbreviation later. Right that could be a follow-up for next week.
1: People can look it up in the dictionary and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> um, so we talked about Markdown a little bit last week, and as I was listening to the show, as I always do, after I recorded, I realized that every time I was talking about Markdown, I'm giving like examples of... How what markdown is like, and I reversed the, the the meaning I was like, "Oh, you put like little asterisks around the word and it will make it bold, uh, and you know and underscores will make it italic No, it's not how markdown works no no one sent me a correction for this, but the second I heard it, I realized it was wrong. Uh, asterisks make it italic, single underscores make it italic, and double underscores make it bold uh, so not that that detail was particularly important, but I was constantly getting it wrong in that whole show. Describe. Maybe you're
0: thinking you were thinking of textile. That's why.
1: Now, I, was, I was probably thinking of, as a friend of mine pointed out. Uh, I made a couple of little Unix utilities back in the day for sending plain text messages to lists, and then I had it uh, interpret plain text messages and and do like the VT100 escape codes to make like bold text and underlining and stuff. And in my little thing, when there were stars around a word, I I emitted the VT100 codes for bold text. So, I was thinking back to my misspent youth and how I interpreted the commonly used emphasis characters in plain ASCII communication. I see. Someone in the chat room says double asterisk around and make it bold. But anyway, Mm. uh, for those relying on that last podcast for actual detailed information about how Markdown works, don't. I put the link to the actual Markdown syntax documentation in the show notes.
0: Well, let me ask you a question then. Shouldn't your general lack of familiarity with Markdown and its usage imply that your opinion maybe should be called into question because you're not really familiar with it. You haven't maybe given it a chance. You haven't given it a fair chance. It's like saying, no, oh, I, I, I don't I, I, I don't so, like F-16s. Well, why not? Well, uh, they have this wrong with them and this wrong with them. Well, have you ever flown
1: an F-16? No, so, I don't need to fly one to know I don't like it. Well, I've, I've used it plenty, but I guess in my writing, I don't make words bold or italic that often. You and just so to, come up. And, to yeah, and, and again, I, I knew which was which. I just, for whatever reason, I misspoke repeatedly <laughs> during the show. Like I said, as soon as I listened to it, I said, that's not how you make things italic. So, right. yeah. And, and no one sent that in. So it must not have been that important. So I think I do. I'm, I am familiar enough with Markdown to have a reasonable opinion on it.
0: Okay. I, w- I will grant you that. And I will also say that maybe our audience has so, become so trusting of you. Now oh, they were they, all asleep. Come on. That they no longer... And no longer question? Question. If,
1: if, if Syracuse says so, it must be true. Now they were all asleep. All right. So the next one, uh, we talked about uh, languages with specs. I think it's part of that same episode. And I was mentioning that Perlry doesn't have a language spec. And I didn't know if Python did. And someone sent in the Python reference. And we we're talking about spec versus reference, blah, blah, blah.
0: Right. And they said, somebody else pointed out that the Ruby one is, I guess, in, under development.
1: Right, so this is this uh, Ruby spec project. Uh, it's, it's a project to write an executable specification for the Ruby programming language. So that that apparently is underway. Although what it, what an executable specification is, I guess it's more kind of like the Perl six test suite. I'm not sure, but anyway, I put the link in the show notes. Uh, so if people are interested in the state of spec development for Ruby, they can follow that. I think it's rubyspec.org. Um, the MIT course that I talked about when you went off on some weird side rail about. Uh, robot competitions. I don't even remember what prompted They're that. We're talking about robots. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that The name of that course is 6.270. It's MIT's Autonomous Robot Design Competition, and I put a link to that in the show notes. I also put it in last week's show notes. So if you're interested in what that is, I was trying to find the the old Nova episode from like the late 80s that showed the particular competition that I saw, and I, I couldn't find video of it online. Uh, but they do list all the old competitions on their website that I linked uh, and one, this is a way back one. At one point, I was talking about what was I talking about? Battery life, or, or no, no, it was ban, bandwidth. usage. you asked me if Sprint unlimited bandwidth would be a motivator for me to go to Sprint, and I was mentioning how I yeah. when I bought the three G for my iPad, I picked the middle plan due to anchoring and all that business. Uh, but I didn't even come close to using the bandwidth, whatever it was, two gigs. I didn't even come close to it. And I said, and I, and I was using it all day, and I even watch some television shows and i mentioned that i watched game of thrones on netflix and of course i didn't watch game of thrones on netflix because netflix doesn't carry game of thrones mm. it was you slip the, these in you just want to see are we really paying attention yeah or not? well no see i hear them when i listen to the episode i'm like what that makes no sense but when i'm talking i guess it comes out too fast for me to think but anyway game of thrones was on the hbo go ipad app which you have to be a subscriber to hbo i believe to view i'm always frustrated by that app because I can never remember what the hell my login is well actually not to correct you
0: it's yeah. not as simple as being a subscriber to HBO. You have to be an HBO subscriber on the appropriate through the appropriate cable provider. Really? And yes, and so many. Like if of them, you
1: have HBO through RCN or some other thing, you can't get it.
0: Right. Or for example, if you're here in, in uh, the great state of Texas, you would like to do that, and you can't because most of us here are uh, Time Warner Cable uh, people. We we well not people, but we you we're getting our HBO through Time Warner Cable and Time Warner Cable has not come to any kind of agreement with HBO. And what that means is that we do not have the luxury of being able to use this wonderful app that the whole rest of the world uses and loves and benefits from. We can't use it because Time Warner Cable and HBO, they won't, you know, they won't sit in the the same row together. So we don't get to use it. Well, that's
1: stupid. It is stupid. And even when you can use it, I'm I'm constantly trying to it figure out and remember how do I log into this app to convince it that I am actually a, suri- a subscriber to HBO through Verizon Fios blah 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 because there's some like connection to your Verizon account or right? I can never remember what my login and password is. And I get the impression that two different login and passwords possibly work. It's a frustrating application. All right. Uh, So those are my quick follow-ups, and then I have a slightly longer follow-up that I still want to get through in enough time so we can talk about Windows 8. Uh, This is a follow-up to something you were talking about on the talk show yesterday, I believe, uh, talking about Star
0: Wars. Yes, we, we have a lot to talk about about that, but before we do, I just want to say, John Gruber, for those who don't listen to the talk show, jumping back to your markdown thing, this is in my notes here, John Gruber... Would whether or not he will have a thorough response or not, we don't know, but he is going to be listening to last week's episode of Hypercritical uh, to listen to your comments about Markdown. And he may, in typical Gruber fashion, say, yeah, well, he was was right. And that that might be his response. Or he may have a a long thing. So I would recommend that those who are interested in furthering the discussion of Markdown probably to to its end point will listen to next week's episode of the talk show.
1: So is that the strategy now? I just mentioned Markdown in every show, to, and then we convince Gruber to actually listen to them? Is that it, how it, it
0: works? I think that's probably the only way we can get him to yeah. listen to a show would be to talk about something that he's known for and, and has done.
1: Probably. I talk about him all the time, but that doesn't make him listen. But anyway. <laughs> now uh, we have to talk about Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. Well, he, oh. this is he, he talked about. and Well, first of all, I could not believe that he <laughs> didn't know about the whole Return of the Jedi, no insertion. I didn't know about it either. Okay, what internet are you people using? Apparently, it's, the it's wrong not. one. My <laughs> wife knew about this last week. Seriously, you guys are behind. Well, I think it, we're
0: counting on you to to bring us a the speed. Shameful
1: Star Wars nerd ism. There, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not reading movie websites every day, but it just it percolates up, percolates. Whatever it comes up, and I don't know how I know. I don't even know where I read it, but everybody knew, man. Anyway, i I feel terrible. Yeah, so yeah. so you discussed discuss that uh, a lot. And I, I, the, my favorite thing about that show was that uh, one of you, I forget which one it was, or maybe it was in the chat room, linked to the Amazon.com uh, review for the... Yes, yet- that was me. ...Blu-ray complete collection. <laughs> Did you write so, that? Are you- no, so 1,129 reviews, 829 of which are one star. Right. So that's 70-something percent are one star reviews for this quote-unquote beloved movie. Why? Because we all hate George Lucas now. It's great to see that because... I always think it's like, oh, it's just this angry Star Wars nerds are the only people who care, but the, the mass of humanity loves it. So I expected to go there and say, oh, Star Wars Blu-ray, five stars. Everyone loves Star Wars. But at this point, I, I mean, that seems like a high number for me. It's not just Star Wars nerds going out of their way to rate this badly. you know. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's hard to tell. Uh, so way back on Hypercritical episode 13, uh, I talked about, I, again, I don't know how this topic came up, but I talked about how easy it would be for George Lucas to find like the very best technicians and artists who would work for free to produce a digital clean version of the original trilogy without modification, yeah. right? Like the most talented people in the entire industry would work so hard for him for, for free, free yeah. and, do, and do better work than they do for their paid work because it would be a labor of love to simply preserve the original trilogy as it existed when it was shown in theaters. You know, Maybe clean it up a little bit, but that's it. But the content would remain unchanged, right? Uh, and I linked to that uh, Secret History of Star Wars, the thing about saving Star Wars. I'll link to it again in this show notes about the state of the actual film negatives for the original Star Wars. Like uh, the fact that they're cutting pieces out of them to use in the new things and Lucas's bogus claims about how the original negatives are gone. Mm-hmm. All sorts of stuff like that. So people should read that link again in the show notes if they didn't already. Uh, and I think uh, when you're asking, Gruber was saying uh, that he's not going to buy this one he's given that guy enough money he's got 50 copies because right. i had i had
0: asked him if he was going to be getting the the blu-ray version of uh, of all of the star wars because that's what they're that's what this is all about is that you can go to uh your favorite store or order it on amazon that the all of the movies all of the star wars movies are being released on blu-ray episodes
1: all of them all the new all the old everything yeah, they do actually sell a separate one with just the prequels, I think, and a separate one with just the real movies. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why anyone would buy the complete saga, because no one should ever have the prequels in their house if they can help it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so and he said he wasn't gonna buy because he already had fifty million copies. Now I have many copies as well. I've we got VHS copies, a couple of different VHS copies, one of which I think is even actually the special edition. And I do have the DVD versions of the original trilogy also. But I also have like a DVD transfer of the Laserdisc version, which Mm. is the unadulterated non-special edition thing, but it's only DVD quality. So these are all standard def. And the whole reason Star Wars Blu-rays are a big deal is because it's the first time there'll be an officially available high definition version of the Star Wars movies. As far as I know, I think there's never been any official high def versions of the movies released. They look
0: good. They look really good visually. And that's what people initially would think well, when they thought, "Oh, it's going to be though.
1: Blu-ray. It's going to be Star Wars." When they did the the DVDs, I remember looking at them and thinking that, for example, Darth Vader's lightsaber looked too pink to me. Like that, I remembered it being redder, and they supposedly had cleaned them up and color corrected. Even ignoring like in scenes that didn't have any additions to them, no digital additions or anything like that, just like it looked different to me. And there's lots of scholarly research on the web where you can find people showing scenes with different color balances through many different versions of people arguing over what it should look like how it was projected or whether when it was projected it looked different because the projector was set up badly or whatever so where i'm going to come down on this is that i may buy the original trilogy on blu-ray for one reason and that reason is empire strikes back which is one of my favorite movies of all times and crucially the least adulterated of the original trilogy films, certainly Mm -hmm. now with the stupid no and Return of the Jedi. As far as I know, there have not been any additional crap, Lucasisms added to Empire Strikes Back. And the things added thus far have been smaller, not lots of like plot-altering, sacrilegious content crap like, uh, you know, Greedo shooting first, that business. So that, that totally destroys A New Hope, right? And those stupid dinosaurs jumping all over the place, which Gruber said he didn't mind, but I certainly do mind. The, the replacement of the ghost at the end of Return of the Jedi with that with Hayden Christensen? Yeah. Uh, yeah that ruins Return of the Jedi Bothers and they ruined me. it some more. No thing. Now it becomes unwatchable. You can't even watch that. so What about the so,
0: Ewoks who blink and you can hear them blinking?
1: Yeah, like that. I mean, uh, I, I think content changers are more egregious than the other ones. So, so both Return of the Jedi and A New Hope have these horrible content changes and Empire Strikes Back, as far as I know, it was the least adulterated before and as far as I know in the Blu-ray, it continues to be the least adulterated without any stupid content changes. So... What it will give me is a much higher quality version of Empire Strikes Back that I will actually deign to watch, even though it is not 100% pure like they they painted in all the windows in Cloud City and they have a new sequence where you fly through the Cloud City before the Millennium Falcon lands and stuff like that sticks out and it's annoying and I could do without it. Oh, and the, the stupid scene with Darth Vader taking his shuttle from Cloud City back to the uh, right. Star Destroyer as if we didn't know how he got there before. Oh, now that explains it. I Before I was so confused <laughs> when he just appeared on the, on the Star Destroyer. <laughs> right. I get there. I have no idea. <laughs> so stuff like that. I mean, it's stupid, but it's nothing close to, uh, you know, Greedo shooting first or uh, or the, the stupid ghost replacement or the no with Chuck and the Emperor. So that's why I think I may find myself in possession of an Empire Strikes Back Blu-ray at some point. Mm. Certainly not the prequels and the other two, no. Um, So, uh, one last thing on this. A friend of mine, we were talking about this online and he did a blog post recently about it uh, with the great title Bad Motivator. Uh, And it's about George Lucas copyright and all that other business. I put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, His main point, his larger point, aside from, you know, Lucas tweaking these films and doing his horrible mistakes and stuff, is that Copyright is way too long. We basically have like eternal copyright in this country because of the various Mickey Mouse clauses. Every time Disney's properties come up for to to go into the public domain, Disney lobbies Congress and they extend copyright longer. So yeah. even though copyright is supposed to be for quote unquote a limited time, every time that limit is about to be reached, they just extend it farther. So copyright is ridiculously long now. And uh, my friend, his name is John McCoy. His point was that if the if the original Star Wars films. Had been released under the original 17-year term of copyright. I don't remember what that term is from. Is that the original term in the the first instance of copyright law? I don't know. I didn't look it up. But you can. But anyway, I trust his uh, his research here. If it had been released under that thing, we would we wouldn't be having this debate because the material would be in the public domain. And as he points out, Criterion could release a restored original version with commentary by you know historians and, and fans. Walmart could release a, a version with all the incest taken out. There's lines from his article. Yeah. You know, if, they, they, if they're if they offended by their brother and sister kissing, you know, in Empire Strikes Back, they could remove that. Right, Luke, Lucas could make his stupid version of his Jar Jar everywhere, right? Uh, and this is a quote from his thing. The point is that art with a capital A would be served and commerce with a capital C, little cent sign, would be served as well. Mm. So... It, the fact that, you know, the rights holders are not the right people to hold the rights of things. You shouldn't have them this long. If this had been if this was in the public domain, people would be making more money and there would be more artistic freedom and we wouldn't be having this debate. You know? It's not as if we'd be taking the rights away from Lucas. He would still have the right to release his great version with all these special stuff. And and if that's actually better, people would buy it. But now these are the only versions, you know. As, as Gruber pointed out, if someone just released, the, if he just released the original trilogy and these modified ones, then the consumers could pick whichever one we want. No one would, would care. They'd be like, oh, those new changes stink, but I'm just going to buy the other one, right? Instead, we wouldn't all be hating Lucas because he's just denying us the original movies that we want to see in a high-def version. So I suggest people read that linked article, A Bad Motivator, on John McCoy's blog, strangely titled Pathetic Fallacy.
0: Okay, faith has some something to ask us about this, or main, mainly you. All right.
1: Okay this this is my question.
0: Like I I didn't understand why people were getting so like upset about Lucas changing the movies because they're his movies. So shouldn't he shouldn't he be able to? But you sort of just answered it. So just correct me if I if I'm not getting this right. So people, the grievance people have with this is that. The original versions are no longer available. It's not solely that he's making alterations
1: to them. So I'm going to quote from John McCoy again, who's uh, my Obi-Wan on this topic. (laughs) Your (laughs) Obi-Wan. Yeah. At a certain point, the relevance of art owes more to the actions of the audience than to the author. Like, it's his when he creates it, and he uh, deserves to be able to make money from it. But once it goes out into the public consciousness, it becomes part of our culture. It's no longer his. It's part of the culture. And he can do whatever he wants with derivatives of it and change it and stuff like that. But the original Star Wars should be part of the popular culture and should not be held captive for 90 years or however long to the whims of this person, so much so that he refuses to release the original version of the film that we all saw in the 70s and 80s, right? That's part of the culture. That's not his anymore. It's bigger than him. Uh, So he shouldn't be able to... It's not that he shouldn't. I mean, the laws are the laws, right? I'm not saying he's doing anything illegal or immoral or, or even unethical. It's just bad for the culture... It's it's bad for commerce, uh, not that that really matters that much, but it's additionally bad for commerce, and it's just bad for, for everybody, bad for art. It, it makes all of us unhappy. So, again, I, w- I wouldn't say what he, he's not doing anything illegal. He's not doing anything immoral, and I don't think he's even doing anything unethical. He's just doing something that is suboptimal, let's say. Uh, so, yeah, the, the main gripe people have is not so much that he's changing his thing the way he wants it. Fine, let him do whatever the heck he wants. It's his. It's that he's also, you know, being a stick in the mud and not giving us the original versions that we all saw that we all want. So you're saying and,
0: it's not like it's not like he went and added an additional chapter to the end of a novel like Anthony Burgess did with Clockwork Orange where it changes the whole feel of the novel and, and that kind of thing. You're saying that uh because the original no, the original work is is essentially been redacted it's been removed it's, it's been right. retconned you, like, and there's there is no way to go back and see what was originally yeah, out
1: there. Like I, unless you have an original negative from the original theatrical runs you can't even like you know if you're a movie theater you say I want to show the original trilogy not the special editions you can't even get that movie you know is it, please I, I will sell tickets and I will give you money in exchange for people who come to see this movie and then no they we won't give it to you. And again that's his legal right and I don't think it's a moral or ethical thing that is just it's just worse for our culture. Our culture is poorer for it for not being able to see those movies, you know, and we have to just wait as we have to wait till he's dead, I guess or wait you know who knows when that copyright will ever, uh expire or how long it will be with his estate that 's another thing that uh, John McCoy brings up in his article talking about the James Joyce estate and how they 've held on to his rights for so long, and uh how the ancestors of great artists are not necessarily the best stewards of the work because they 're not interested in the the, the greater benefit of the culture, the more interested in either lining their pockets or protecting the works from any altercation alteration rather.
0: Did you see there was an article that came out? Uh, I I don't know how actually how old the article was, but I feel like it was a recent uh, where Steven Spielberg announced it for his Blu-ray stuff of like ET that he is going to be removing the things that he that he did to change it. I one, the, the example that I remember was cited was at one point, the secret service agents were running around with guns. Uh, while it was during the scene where Elliot and, uh, sorry, if I'm ruining the movie for those who haven't seen E.T., I guess it will get email. Oh, you ruined Shawshank redemption by talking. To- okay, fine. Uh, don't listen for the next three minutes. Uh, the part where Elliot and E.T. are riding the bike and E.T. is up in the front and they're escaping, uh, after E.T. wakes up, and uh the the i guess in this scene the secret service agents are running around with you know, i don't know whether it was machine guns or pistols or whatever they had guns and spielberg went back in and tweaked the heck out of this thing and turned it uh into walkie-talkies so they were running around with walkie-talkies pointed at, at E.T., i guess uh and so he 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 had changed that and he had uh i guess he he said that he felt that he uh, had somehow betrayed the original feeling associated with the movie and is, is going to restore the original E.T. movie the way it was originally filmed, regardless of uh, what was changed. Uh, later, he's restoring the original one for this final sort of Blu-ray release.
1: As well, he should. And, you know, if I can, I'll take a second to armchair psychoanalyze uh, without ever meeting or really knowing anything about Lucas and Spielberg to compare why one has reversed and the other has just doubled down. Uh, Lucas has always been, I think he sees himself as an outsider and always has seen himself as an outsider. He wanted to get out of the Hollywood system. He wanted to, you know, do his own thing on Skywalker Ranch, wanted to be an independent filmmaker, didn't want to be under the thumb of studios, didn't like dealing with them, always wanted to be financially independent. And I think that comes from, like sort of an us versus them oppressed minority thing, even though he's like you know the eight hundred pound gorilla at this point, right? This is just his attitude. So that's why when people criticize him for making changes, he's not able to process that criticism constructively, but simply withdraws and becomes stubborn and says, "Oh yeah, well I'm going to add more stuff then, and you know it's my movie. I get to do what I want. <laughs> right. You don't understand. These movies are made for kids, and the kids love it. Like that's." He's the grumpy kid who's like being stubborn and just saying, no, mm, I won't do it. The more you, the more you yell about it, the more I'm going to, you know, whereas right. Spielberg is well adjusted enough to look at the criticism and think about it. So like maybe they are right. Maybe I am going back and changing things because, you know, my attitude may be different when I'm older, but the, a younger Steven Spielberg made that movie. And why shouldn't the work of that younger Steven Spielberg be preserved as part of our culture right. instead of being being erased? Well, I'll give, uh, I'll give so. you
0: an example of that is that I heard an interview with, with Spielberg and uh, this was a number of years ago. And they were saying, is there anything that you would have changed about uh, any of your movies? And I I guess they were talking about Close Encounters uh, of the Third Kind. Uh, And by the way, I'm going to ruin the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind now in case you haven't seen it. Have you not seen it, Faith? She's looking at me. You haven't seen it. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to ruin it for you. I'm sorry. This is the the downside of the job. Uh, Occasionally I will will ruin movies for you on the show. Uh, Spielberg said, well, I wouldn't have had him go. At the end, I feel like as a dad now, it would be irresponsible for him to go. Uh, because he had a family, he had a, a, you know, a family, wife and all that. Dude, having him go was a very irresponsible thing that I, as a young director without a family, didn't see, didn't think about, didn't, wasn't really aware of. Now I wouldn't have him go. But he didn't go back and, you know, airbrush Dreyfus uh, <laughs> off the, 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 the plank walking onto the ship either. He left it. He's, maybe he regretted it, but he said, you know what, Th- this was the movie that I made.
1: That's Another it. example is uh, Jaws, where they couldn't get the stupid mechanical shark to work half the time, <laughs> so they didn't have the shark in a lot of the shots. Right. And everybody said, oh, well, you know, that's so great, it's so suspenseful, right?" because we don't get to see this. But it's really just because they couldn't get the special effects to work, and he was worried about it. Oh, God, we couldn't get this stupid mechanical shark to work if people are going to be scared by this movie. And as it turns out, they were even more scared by not seeing it. So he could go back and add a CG shark to all the scenes like I always wanted that mechanical shark to work and the stupid thing wouldn't work and I'm going to go back and add it which is kind of like what Lucas did because he always wanted these special effects to be just so and have more aliens and he went back and added them but Steven Spielberg was smart enough to realize hey wait a second actually it's better without that everyone tells me and I find it to be true in my own experience that not seeing the shark is even scarier than seeing it so me going back and adding the CG shark in addition to modifying the original regardless whether you released original it would make the movie worse and so he he realizes that's the case and does not go back and add the cg shark
0: so i found i found the article not to you know beat a dead horse or anything i found the article put it in the show notes but it was for the 20th anniversary edition spielberg made some changes to the movie uh and uh, he says some scenes of et got the cgi treatment to enhance his expression a certain description of michael's breath was removed and most famously the police had their weapons replaced with walkie-talkies and uh and, and and he says uh here he i guess he was uh he was interviewed in front of a crowd at uh Raiders the Lost Ark event and he said uh if he needed to go back and change things in his movies the director responded quote i tried this once and i lived to regret it not because of fan outrage but simply because i was disappointed in myself i was overly sensitive to some of the criticism et got from parent groups when it was first released in 1982 having to do with elliot saying Penis breath or the guns, and then there were certain other brilliant but rough-around-the-edges close-ups of E.T. that I always felt if technology ever evolves to the point where I can do some facial enhancement for E.T., I'd like to. He said, it was okay for a while, but then I realized what I had done was I had robbed the people who loved E.T. of their memories of E.T., And I regretted that, which he received a massive applause. The only contrition that I really performed is when E.T. came out on DVD for the first time. I asked Universal, when you release this on DVD, you have to come out for the same price of one DVD. You have to put two movies in the box, and one movie will be the 1982 version, and the other will be the digitally enhanced version. And then he went on to ask the audience, he says, I know we're coming out with a Blu-ray of E.T., if it just came out with one E.T., the nineteen eighty two ET, would anyone object to that? And he says there were loud no's from the audience. And he said, Okay, then so be it.
1: Yeah, see he's at least self aware enough to realize like What's go where are you in like a war or something? Oh, <laughs> like a Cessna in
0: the back. Are you in a Cessna? I'm not in a Cessna,
1: that's a lawnmower.
0: That's a lawnmower. What kind of lawns do you have up there in?
1: If you want, you know, I'm I'm pretty much done with the Star Wars thing. So if you want, you can do a sponsor before we go into Windows 8.
0: That's a mower. Yes. Holy cow! All right. Campaign Monitor. They've released a go- These guys. These are the guys you go to if you want a gorgeous email newsletter. These are the guys you go because they have they have updated their editor, so you you uh, get the the most amazing editor out there for creating newsletters. And uh, to celebrate this release, they're giving away tons of these these templates. They went to the best designers on the web and they said, we want you to make us some templates and we'll give them away to all of our users for free. You go to campaignmonitor.com slash templates. You can see these. You can also catch a demo of their new editor in action at the same address. And uh, Campaign Monitor, you know, think of it as email marketing software, but it's for web designers. It's it's all elegant. It's all beautiful. It's a hundred percent rebrandable. We get a ton of features. You can try it for free. Lots of different plans. CampaignMonitor.com Check them out.
1: They're still going yeah, open.
0: Mower's still going.
1: You want to kill time by talking to Faith about movies she hadn't seen. They should be done in like two minutes.
0: Well the one the one thing we have talked about, and I will I will mention this now. We haven't really we haven't really I don't know if we really said this or not, but there, there is a you and I enjoy, I think, a lot of the same movies. Although I'm not as much into, you know, like the you know, Dragon Slayer from 1982 as you are. Um,
1: we the do, fact that you know about that movie proves you wrong.
0: Oh, I've seen the movie. I uh-huh. remember the little baby and dragons. I remember you know, the shield and you know at the, the end. year
1: that it came out, and I'm guessing
0: you- at the year. And I was expecting you to tell me, no, Dan, it was 79. You fool! I know
1: the years those things came
0: out. Uh, not to be confused with with the Dragon Slayer game completely different thing that was the Laserdisc game where you would have your little cartoon character running that's not
1: Dragon Slayer think for a second what was that called? not Dragon Slayer Lair
0: Lair that's what I said Dragon Slayer
1: oh I'm missing the you're trying to do a uh, some kind of bad pun there Slayer versus well the movie
0: was Slayer the movie was Lair I said not to be confused with Dragon Slayer okay okay all right you were a little cartoon character and you would run and you would supposed to hit uh, the jump button at a certain exact moment, impossible for a, you know, young teenager to to perfectly time because you had no experience perfectly timing to the seeking speed of a laser disc while the thing was jumping. Not that.
1: Was was there a jump button? I thought it was
0: just a joystick. No, there was a joystick, but there was a jump button. There was an attack button. There was everything. You had everything. Mm confusing game and it cost 50 cents to play now now i think it's like a dollar to play the most basic video game but back when this game came out it that was a fort that was a small fortune for a kid with an allowance and then you could you couldn't get past the second stage oh what was i supposed to do was i supposed to jump was i supposed to attack was i supposed to hit left and then you'd see the guy who owned the arcade joint come over there and play for two hours on on a couple quarters because he'd been practiced prior to gauntlet you ever play gauntlet
1: you're going farther down this uh, rat hole yes i play gauntlet
0: who are you in, in gauntlet valkyrie
1: warrior shot the food i was either the warrior or the elf usually you know what would be cool is if you get the elf
0: and you get the boots of speed oh, watch out man watch out that's you'd run out there and grab all that treasure for the other warrior would be back there you know hacking away at the, the ghosts the grunts all and right so just, pop
1: pop the stack pop the stack here what is that I'm trying to tell you... You're a programmer. I'm trying to tell you to, to go back a few stack frames return from your deeply nested subroutine to the higher level thing. You had, I prefer you, the you, longer You got onto this topic because you... said you to kill turning, time.
0: I don't know. You said kill uh, time. So uh, this is what I do. I kill uh, time. I'm trying
1: to re- I don't remember what the original thing was at this point. It was something about how you're not a... Oh, you're talking about movie. Us doing a movie thing. Yeah, there you go. Goodfellas. Re- yes.
0: We're going to talk about Goodfellas on an upcoming episode of this show. You, you want... Someday we will, yes. because we have things in common, movies that we like, and this is, this is one of the greatest all time movies and uh, you you suggested early on when we first started doing the show, i said, I said we should talk movies too, because we have a lot of these movies that uh, we have in common, including Dragon Slayer, which I know is one of your favorites and you you had said, "Well, good fellows, we have to talk about that and you in fact, I think went on to say please don 't talk about that." with anybody else until we've had a chance to talk about it because I have so much to say about it and I, I made you that promise. I would just like to say, Lou, we should announce it at least now. We, are, we do have plans to do this. We will do it on this show. We will do it on no other show.
1: I think we already announced it but it was so long ago people may have forgotten. But yes, I wanted to get dibs on it because I was afraid you were going to run out of Bond movies and start doing it with Gruber.
0: We will not. We will not be doing Goodfellas there. We will do, be doing it here.
1: I was trying to like to all gangster movies so we could do Godfather 1 and 2 after that. That's nice. great. Are you up for it? And then pretend three doesn't exist and so on and so forth. Are you up for it? Yeah, we'll see how the first one goes. If when, we can we it's got to be good, it. Phyllis. It's got to be good, Phyllis. Yes, yes. I've, I'm all ready to watch in preparation for whenever we can arrange to record.
0: Do we do it as part of the show or is it
1: a special separate I think episode? I think it's a special separate thing. Otherwise, the show will go too long. Okay. And it's not people don't want to. People complain about many topics on Hypercritical that are not relevant to Apple or technology. Uh-huh even remotely, and certainly Goodfellas. Will so call.
0: it will be a separate, a separate episode. Yes. Special, A special yes. of some kind.
1: You had some ideas for like making a special show with some weird title that would be you talking about movies with yeah. various other hosts.
0: I would like that. Yeah. But I feel like it could just be you and me on that show. Well, maybe. I'm stirring it! All right, let's... Uh, Windows wo- 8. Windows 8 Metro. Mm-hmm. What can you say that hasn't been, been said at this point?
1: Oh, say, what is that? What is got, that? We got leaf blowers now, but they're, they're the tail end. Can you fix this in post, or should we just wait for the leaf blowers to go away? I think it adds a little bit of character to the, to the
0: show. I don't, I'm not taking any of this out.
1: All right, I'll throw in another correction. Uh, my friend John McCoy just points out that the original copyright term was 14 years, not 17. He made a mistake in his article. So there's a little real-time follow-up for you.
0: How big so, of a yard do you have up there? In, uh,
1: not a big yard at all. That's why they'll be done shortly. You don't mow that yourself? No. I did for a while, but then like at a certain point, I, was, I spent my whole teenage years mowing my parents' lawn, and they had a much bigger lawn than I do. And at a certain point, I'm like, you know what? I'm done mowing lawns. I've, I've put in my quota of lawn mowing. Uh, and yeah, it's much, much more economical. I'm with you. To have someone just do it for you. I'm with you. Yeah, because otherwise, yeah, I'll be spending every single weekend during the summer just mowing the lawn and doing lawn maintenance, right? That's not uh, how I want to spend my weekends.
0: No, I hear that. This is this is sort of your take on the, the good of the many outweighing the good of the one.
1: Yeah. So, uh... Are Windows we clear? 8. Are they
0: gone? Can we talk
1: about Metro? No, they're not gone, but they are <laughs> more distant. So, so Windows 8. Uh, I tried to watch some of the keynote and... I I could not handle the the presentation. It went on forever. You didn't there, like the ball was, guy, is that what you're was, trying to say? There was two hosts on the screen. No, the actual keynote, uh, the one like the the first keynote of the day. There was two hosts who kept going back and forth to each other, and they were just hyperactive, and they were making me. This is making me nervous to watch them. <laughs> but so, <laughs> and uh, Gruber linked and recommended this like the afternoon keynote or some other thing. It was a. Jensen Harris gave this talk on, uh, I think the title was, Eight Traits of Great Metro-Style Apps. Uh, and if the title is misleading, it's really just like going through the philosophy and underpinnings of the entire Metro UI. And it's 90 minutes mm-hmm. long. It's just one host. And it is kind of long and boring. But it, I watched the whole thing, and it does do a good job of explaining the UI. So while I was watching it, I was making notes. I made, tried to make notes watching the keynote, but I just couldn't take it anymore. But I watched that whole 90-minute video and made lots of random notes. So... Uh, they're not really that well organized i'll just kind of go through them in the order they appear on my on my note sheet here uh because i think i think windows 8 is uh very interesting the first thing in in my notes is is, and and i noted this Groover as well it isn't it kind of weird that microsoft considers it okay to publicly show broken and buggy code in demos like that's something that's very different from the apple world where so Apple will show, like, here's a preview of the upcoming Mac OS X line, and Steve Jobs or whoever, Craig uh, Federighi, is that his name, will get up on stage and demo a pre-release version of the operating system. And they're acknowledging that it's not done yet, but everything in that demo is going to work, and if it doesn't, it's you know it's notable, right? So even though the whole OS may not be done, everything they're going to demo has to work. Just demo the parts that work, don't demo the parts that don't work, and rehearse that demo six or seven times so that you know, yeah, when I do this, this these all all these things are going to work, right? Whereas Microsoft and all the demos that I saw in, the, in this eight, you know, traits of great Metro style apps and the other keynote, tons of stuff wasn't working. There was lots of, you know, lo- lots of failures and lots of people pulling at the screen and it not doing what they was supposed to do on the first, second or third try. I guess it was a little bit of that with... Uh, with Craig Federighi trying to do gestures with his very nervous, shaky fingers on the uh, the magic mouse, <laughs> right? But it was, you know, that's not it's not so much a failure in the software. Here, I saw things happening where people would try to touch, touch a button on the screen and nothing would happen, and they would reset the device. At one point in the demo, he switches to the Windows desktop, goes to the task manager, and kills a process, then comes back and it relaunches and it works. The second, you know, so lots of really, I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. It's pre-release software, but it's a different, just a different philosophy that Microsoft was willing to do do and show anything. But they also didn't have the discipline to make sure that everything shown during their demos was guaranteed to work because they'd done it seven times before, right? Like, maybe they had done it before, but they clearly didn't go through enough rehearsals to know whether this stuff was going to work. Maybe they didn't have time. So that's just a different philosophy, I think. And it's different also at WWDC in the sessions. Like, not in the keynote, but in the actual sessions at WWDC, you'll see stuff not work and stuff crash if they're showing some pre-release feature of an operating system. Uh, But this was public. This was, I mean, that's the difference, I guess, with Microsoft and everything else. Everything at this build conference seems to be public. Um, They put all the video on Channel 9 for free. I didn't have to pay anything. I didn't have to sign up for any account. I could just go to the website and look at the video. So Microsoft is much more open and they're much more willing to show you the unfinished bits of what they're doing. Uh, So... Broadly speaking, the first thing I noted when they were going through uh, these Metro apps is you can write them in C++, C Sharp, or JavaScript, HTML, and XAML, which is their XML UI definition thing that they do. Uh, now, that gets back to the Copeland 2010 stuff. We're saying, well, look at Microsoft. They, of course, they have their C Sharp memory managed language uh, with the VM and all that other stuff. And, of course, they have JavaScript and HTML which is even higher level, but there's also C++ and there's this whole big idea of a C plus C++ renaissance going on at Microsoft and other companies where previously C++ was dumped on because it was complicated and fragile and annoying, but new C++ standards have come out, adding new features and libraries that hide the ugly bits for you or standard the, the community is standardized in some libraries that get rid of some of the rough edges and let you do things that were previously too annoying to do yourself. Uh, so in typical Microsoft fashion, they want everything. But well, you can do it in C plus You can do it in C sharp, which is kind of in the middle there, and you could even do it in JavaScript, HTML. Uh, so they're very different from Apple in that philosophy. Is they're not, they didn't they didn't pick one language. They have this whole language spanning an entire range. Uh, that's com- becomes interesting when you start talking about Windows on ARM, which Microsoft is doing. They want to, to, their operating system to run on different processor architecture. Now, if you write your app in JavaScript in HTML, for example you don't have to worry about it running on ARM because there's like there's no compiling. It will, it will run on ARM just fine, right? And C-sharp, because it runs in the common language runtime, I assume, will also have a similar property that your application will run on ARM as long as they can get the common language runtime to run on ARM, right? But so your C++ application, you will need to recompile if you want it to run on ARM. Uh, so even their own language range is kind of Spread across the, the ease of getting onto ARM. And I think right now people don't even know, well, so what? You know, Windows on ARM, is that important? Am I going to want to do that? Is that like essential? It's kind of a wait and see attitude. So I'm not sure people are making language choices based on ARM at this point until they see what the ARM stuff is doing. Uh, so the next thing that occurred to me watching this is that all these things they're showing are great and everything, but the key, the key issue is can Microsoft get the devs, the developers to come over to their platform? Like, that's always been the problem with Windows Phone. They're always trying to throw money at people. Say, like, hey, make make your app for Windows Phone. Make Angry Birds for Windows Phone. Here, we'll give you tons of money. Just, you know, make your cool app for Windows Phone. Please, please, you know, anybody. They're, they're looking for anybody who does a great mobile app on another platform to come over and make mobile apps for Windows Phone. Uh, Apple didn't have to really do that. It seems like Apple didn't have to do that as much. Maybe Apple did go out to EA and everybody and throw money at them and get them to make iPhone games originally. But certainly at this point, people are going to iOS because that's where the money already is. Whereas Microsoft is trying to get them to come to the phone on the tablet. It's the same type of thing. You can make this great, cool platform, but if you can't get the developers to come and make your, your apps for that platform, you're just going to, you know, it's a, it's a chicken egg thing. Uh, So some of the things they were using in the presentation to try to get the developers over is the typical line, you know, some of you are going to get rich on this platform, you know, put the dollar signs in their eyes. You come right, uh, you know, Metro apps, you will get rich. Some of you are going to build apps that are used by hundreds of millions of people, you know, because Microsoft has, has the biggest ecosystem. That was the big thing they were pressing. It's like, we're Microsoft, you know, even though, <laughs> I guess, even though we're doing nothing in the, in the tablet space and we're a distant third or fourth in the, in the phone space. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we are the, we're the biggest ecosystem, you know, and they are, I guess if you count the PC platform. That's a pretty darn big ecosystem, but this is a total, you know, they may have the biggest e- ecosystem there, but they're not the biggest ecosystem of users paying for downloaded apps or for devs creating them, right? They don't have anything in that space. You know, they sell their apps in shrink wrap and licenses to corporations. They're not they're not selling it to uh, individual users who are downloading them in, in real time. They don't have millions of credit card-bearing accounts and people who are trained to buy things digitally from them or anything like that. Uh-huh. Another phrase is, you want to get in on the ground floor. You know, Microsoft wants a gold rush and telling you, you really want to get in on the ground floor. Be the first guy to make the great app for this. Uh, and another point they were hammering was, we have a more vari- more varied devices than any other ecosystem because they had that big display on the stage where they showed Windows 8 running on a big giant PC and then a smaller PC and then a big tablet and then a smaller tablet like they were showing like, Windows 8 can run this whole huge range of devices. You know, we have the biggest ecosystem. I don't know if I would have leaned on that as much as they did because I can't imagine anybody who's not an Android developer looking at that and going, oh, great, more fragmentation. For this <laughs> you know, like don't, don't tell me how many devices you have. like Right. I'm not quite sure why that's a big selling point for developers. Like, I'm going to make my app work on that entire range of stuff that's on the screen. All right. So uh, if you've seen the Metro applications, uh, be, just looking at the screenshots before I'd watch a video, so I'm like, these things are ridiculously simplified. Mm-hmm. You know, there's almost nothing on the screen. No, no, no controls, no typical Chrome stuff. And like, not even a lot of content, right. It was just, just nothing. Right. And it, I was thinking of how much more simplified they are even than Apple's latest revision of simplified desktop apps, right? Right. So like the address book when they changed it into that stupid book thing, right? But but they simplified the application. It says two panes instead of three or iCal where they they hid the little stuff under pop-ups that used to be sticking out. iCal just looks like a big month calendar and that's it. They were trying to simplify their application, but it's nothing compared to this kind of simplification. This is just remove everything. Uh, So I don't know if they've just... Leaped ahead of where Apple was in terms of simplification because the trend is in a clear direction. They say, "Well, let's just jump way ahead." Like if Apple is slowly simplifying its applications, we you know forget that we're going to leave them in the dust. We're going to super simplify this stuff. Uh, it was making me think. I don't know. I'll go back to the, the the aesthetics in a little bit, but it is wanted to, monitor, to uh, note that they seem to uh, leapfrogged things in simplification. Whether that's a good thing or not, we'll see. Uh, so the UI, once you see, start seeing the thing in use, right? I remember what it made me think of is the iPad introduction. So when we, the iPad came out, everyone was talking about oh, Apple's going to make a tablet. What's it going to be like? We all have the iPhone. We really wanted to make a tablet. And there was lots of fantasies about, well, there was the hardware on one side, which I think everyone more or less knew what the hardware was going to be in the, the week or so leading up to the thing. In fact, I think it did a, a, a post about it on ours where I tried to predict what the hardware would be. And it was exactly what everyone thought it would be. Uh, but the software, people didn't know. Uh, but th-
0: there was speculation that maybe it would be Mac OS X uh,
1: well, as uh, opposed anyway, to
0: iOS. Or what kind of iOS would it be? Just yeah, like the I don't iPhone? I
1: anybody was talking about Mac OS X on the thing. But the reason people were thinking about Mac OS X was they would be like, okay, well, sure, iOS or iPhone OS is great on the phone, but this is a bigger screen, so don't don't you need to make... Right, isn't their, it more like choices. a computer? Yeah, yeah. You would make like different choices in terms of how you use screen space. Like the the, the decisions you made when the screen was tiny and fit in your hand are, should be different than the ones you make when it's big. So that's why people say, well, maybe they'll just put the full fledged macOS on because you could fit it on that size screen. And I'm like, no, it's no good for touch. But like, i you know, I don't, I don't think macOS 10 being on it had really any credence. But what I was thinking about was, what are they going to do to iOS to adapt it to this bigger screen? And I remember being very disappointed when they showed it on the stage and the home screen was the exact same grid of icons, just more widely spaced. Right? Like if someone had shown you that as a as a faked up spy photo of like here's a leaked photo of the, the iPad and they'd be like, you just took a picture of the the iPhone Springboard and spread the icons out. There's no way Apple would do that. They're gonna come up with a new interface that's appropriate for the tablet. Nope. It's Springboard with the icons spread out, more or less. You know? And I was very disappointed that Apple didn't try to think about how that could be different on a tablet sized screen. Right. And when I saw that decision, again, or getting back to the past show we did about Steve Jobs and how we have no idea what Steve Jobs actually does so we can just assign to him whatever decisions we think. But I thought that decision smelled like Steve Jobs. And in the imaginary Steve Jobs in my head, I imagined him being shown seven or eight different alternatives for like what the interface on the iPad would be like. Uh, and him looking at all of them and going, yeah, why, why can't we just do a grid of icons like the phone? People people like that, and it works. Why can't we just do that? I don't understand why you're doing it. Why don't we just make it a grid of icons? That's it. It's just going to be a grid of icons. Just show me that. Like, can't you see him doing that? Isn't that his type of attitude? Like, <laughs> why are we overthinking this? Why are you showing me all these fancy, whizzy interfaces? with? I don't know what the alternatives possibly could have been. But it's like, but, but didn't we already solve this in the iPhone? Just use the grid of icons. People like that. Do it. All right, so we have a grid of icons. Uh, and Microsoft did not do that. Microsoft... Well, I don't know. You could say Microsoft has made a scaled version of what it's got on Windows Phone, but certainly it's not just a grid of icons. It's a, it's, a, it's a, what would you call it? A mosaic of tiles. Mm, uh, tile but mosaic. In, 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 in practice, it's very uh, very different. Have uh, so, <laughs> you seen the thing with the lock screens in Windows 8? Did you see that in the videos? I'm thinking about that. Uh, I don't think I saw that one. To describe it, how does that work? So instead of, you know, on Apple, you slide the little... Yeah thing to the side to get your thing well they have is a gesture based thing where you have like a big uh, not a desktop pattern but a big a big photo that's the background of your thing so they're always putting pictures of the kids or something on there and then you make a series of gestures on the picture of your kid to launch it that's so right yeah they're like poking the left eye poking the right eye slide on the smiley face and your thing opens right or some someone did it on a logo like a, here's our company logo and I swipe across top of the logo and then trace these little lines in the logo and I get it unlocked uh, I don't I think that's i mean the security of those things is all subject to people <laughs> looking at your screen at the right angle and seeing where your finger grease trails lead yeah. to figure out how to unlock your thing and i could imagine it being frustrated frustrating if they didn't make it like if they didn't add a lot of slop in there where you don't have to be so precise so oh, you didn't ex- exactly hit your daughter's pupil so we're not going to open it and you're sitting there stabbing your kid in the face repeatedly trying to get it. so it's got to be really permissive uh but that also makes the security not so great not that like you know your numeric code one two three four on your phone is that great either but it just struck me as kind of weird it's another thing i can't imagine apple doing is i just you just poke your kid in the face a few times to unlock your thing isn't that great but i can also see steve jobs trying to pimp that as a great feature so i could go either way uh so the look of the thing after staring at windows 8 for like an hour or two hours I, and then looking back at an ipad or an iphone it makes ios look old like in the same way that when a new version of macOS ten comes out, like maybe you skip like three versions, then go back to like 10.3 or 10.2 and look at it, you're like, oh my God, I, how do we even look at this with the pinstripes and all the drawers and all this? It's just, it's just hideous, right? Well, if you look at Metro for a long time, then you look back at iOS, it seems like busy and has lots of stuff and lots of, you know, they call it Chrome, but, you know, the, these little preciously rendered buttons in the toolbars on your iPad apps it's not a lot of UI but like oh they're made to look like it's kind of like recessed underneath a little you know the toolbar is like a little metal shell and there's a little recess button under it with a little shadow on and all that shading and it's like it looks a little clunky after you've seen just this sort of clean empty regions of color that they that they use in Windows 8 uh when the Metro interface in Windows 8 uh I I don't know if that means anything but it does it's an impression that struck me after going from one environment into the other like usually that happens to apple doing it to itself now here's someone potentially doing it to apple uh i'll have to see them in real life to know whether that's actually the case but on the screen it looks less like a computer let's put it that way it looks less like a computer than than uh, ios or the mac does and that's been apple's trend is to make everything they do look less like a computer but this looks really less like a computer uh I thought it was notable that they have they were making a big deal out of the fact that all their text baselines are, are aligned. Like, you know, like a, with, in a print publication when you align yeah. the baselines, so, and, and also in a grid system and a, and a web design type of thing. That's something that Microsoft would never even acknowledge the existence of, they, the pre-Windows 8 Microsoft. But here they were in a public presentation making a big point of it, and saying, you don't have to worry, we'll take care of this for you. But it's really important because look how this lines up from screen to screen. And, you know, the same reason you do it in print. It's not a revolution that they figure this out. It's a revolution for Microsoft for them actually thinking about stuff like this for a change. Uh, now, as for the actual operation of this thing, uh, if, if you haven't watched the video in the show notes, you should pause the thing now and go watch the video for 90 minutes and then sleep and then come back and listen to this so you can know what we're talking <laughs> about. Or watch, so it, watch it while you sleep. Yeah, so I'm not going to describe everything that's in it. So I'll assume you've already seen it. But uh, my impression of the start screen, which is that big mosaic of icons, is it, Yeah, it doesn't look like a computer UI. What it looks like to me... Well, I, before I say this, I'm going to say, what does it look like to you? When, when you just, just, if no one told you that this was Windows 8 or anything, you just saw a screenshot or a picture of you know, that thing, what does it look like to you? What other existing thing that, you're, that you know of already does it look like?
0: Do you mean besides the Windows phone, or is that the answer you're
1: looking for? No, besides the Windows phone, yeah.
0: Other thing does it look like? Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm too much in it re- What does it
1: remind you of? Non, a non-computer thing.
0: A non-computer thing. I all I know is computers. Yeah, so
1: maybe it's just me. Now when I when I look at it, what it looks like to me is a page in a catalog. Like, you know, a nicely laid out sort of avant-garde page in a catalog for like clothing. An ad,
0: like an advertisement. Like yeah, an well, IKEA catalog.
1: Yeah, not not so much like a bunch of ads, but like here are wares for sale. We have these lovely dishes and here are these happy people wearing clothing you can buy yeah. and some text along like the a tar- side. a target
0: it, advertisement.
1: Yeah, it looks like a page in a catalog. And if you look at those screenshots like they they always put the beautiful happy people laughing uh and the the beautifully photographed merchandise or the big close up of a flower or some other thing, you know. And I look at that and it's they're nice looking pictures, but what it strikes me as sort of content free content like the image looks nice but what information is it conveying to me or do i have to read the text right and the second thing i thought of is that's how it looks in their demos but when a user gets this thing Is that screen going to look so hot when it's not filled with super high quality, high res photos of models?
0: Right. When it's when it's like an avatar that's originally 64 by 64 and it's been scaled up to 512. Or (laughs) just like,
1: you know, we're not all models. You can have pictures of your friends and family who are not as attractive and they will not be nicely lit. Or these these pictures of like uh, I could have time like dinner plates and other stuff like professionally photographed expensive things. Mm hmm where are you going to have pictures of your stuff that's just ugly with the flash <laughs> burn on it take a picture of it on your, I don't like that screen is going to look very different when it's when it's you and when it's uh-huh. not Microsoft's marketing department filling that uh, and I still question even in that case whether those images convey any information now, the, the main thing uh, that I think is uh, a detriment to those things is that this sounds dumb, but like, so they kept making a point of them not being icons. That means they're not iconic. It's, it, it's harder to identify items because when you're looking for, you know, I'm looking for words with friends. I'm looking for the icon with the yellow square with the little letters on it. Like it looks different than the other icons. Yeah, they're all the same shape, which is a bummer on the iPhone. But color scheme wise and position wise, you know, it's. It's easier for me to find. Now, they, Position, I think they're doing okay with because they do seem to have a set set of screens and you can drag them wherever you want and then make them whatever size you want and they don't move on their own. So I think Position, they're okay, but you're still glancing to look for that yellow thing to confirm where you're going, especially if it's not an app that you use all the time on, the, on like the main
0: screen, right? And I guess, if, I guess their Microsoft argument for this though, John, is that it's, it should be about the content. Don't think about the apps. Think right, about but the you have content.
1: To, you have to find the thing to tap. You have to find the thing, Right. You could quickly find <laughs> your newsreader, right? Right. It doesn't. It, and if the, if the, it, like if you remember the position, you might be okay. But if you don't know what screen you're on, oh, I'm screen number three. So I know it's always in the lower right. You'll look in the lower right to try to confirm that that's the newsreader. And it will be some random picture of some article. That, that's another thing. If you're going to use a newsreader, like here's our newsreader, look at all these pictures. The articles I read don't have beautiful high res photos of, nice things attached to every single article in the rss feed i don't know what it's going to show for typical rss feeds that are text only or have ugly images but anyway like how will you know that's the rss reader without reading the text it's not iconic you can't pick it out quickly uh now they they really hammered on this point this is a quote from the thing icons are yesterday's ways of representing apps they were constantly slamming apple I, ipad and ios as i think they should because it's their competitor right you know go after the big dog right but they would never name them. They would never say iPad, never say iOS, never say iPhone. They would just make allusions to them. But we all know who they're talking about. So icons are yesterday's way of representing apps. They're antiquated. These are all quotes. They're antiquated. They're not alive. They're not interesting. They're not helpful. Well, yesterday's way of quoting apps is you know, just like say, we're the future. They're the past. Fine. They're antiquated. Again, they're old. They're not alive. That's true. They're, they're usually not moving around unless you have the little shaky icon mode on, right? They're not interesting. Probably they're not interesting. Like, I mean, I guess it depends on how you find interesting. They're not helpful. Well, mm-hmm. I would draw the line there. They're definitely helpful, mm-hmm. you know, and they're easily identifiable and they don't change appearance without you, you knowing that they're changing appearance. Like even if you update an app, you're, you know, you're doing that on your own, right? So here's another quote. The best tiles, this is what they call little squares. The best tiles are alive with activity and they draw you in. I don't really want things in my interface to be alive with activity, right? It, it's, Movement draws the eye, you know, the old lizard brain, avoid the saber tooth tiger, predator-prey thing. Movement You can't help it. Movement draws your eye. It, it affects you when you can, you know, it's just a physiological fact of life. And I usually don't want my eye drawn to like, oh, that little tile is changing, oh, this tile is changing, oh, that tile. I don't want my interface to be, quote, alive with activity. Now, whether it draws you in or not, I bet I bet it'll draw you in in a store display. Store displays always have the you know hey come over here look at this. I mean, Apple store demos are filled with motion. They they show those little videos on the on the devices to draw you in to say come look at this iPad, look at this movie, people moving around and happy people smiling and you know. But in day to day use, I really don't want my interface to be alive with activity. Uh, I, I should pre- I should preface all this by saying this is just from looking at a video. I have no idea how this is going to be in real life. But looking at the video, these are the thoughts that are occurring to me. This is kind of stream of consciousness. Type of thing, but you know. So I, I don't think that I'm condemning this interface without ever having used it. I'm just going on what I have. I haven't used it. I haven't gotten to use it. I'm just trying to think about how this is going to work out in real life. Uh, so one of, one of the points, the other points they made is that these these animations are constantly summoning people back into your app when something new happens, and they gave a bunch of examples of what this animation can can do. Uh, can remind you of something that's supposed to happen, like uh, like maybe you're supposed to be in an appointment or whatever. Can can draw you in to being interested in going to that application. It can show you what's coming up next, like a scheduling application. It can show you stuff that happened while you were away. Uh, All sorts of things like that are reasons why you'd want your tile to be alive with activity and interesting. Now, some of these have good points about an application that's not running, giving you information, so you don't have to launch it. You can just look at the tile, like the weather app. You have to launch the weather app. What if it shows the little sunny, rainy thing and some temperatures and a three-day forecast right on the tile? You don't need to launch it. And this is a big complaint with like, the pre-iOS 5 lock screen where you didn't have any good information there except for the time and maybe a notification or two. Um, and the fact that all you can do is badge your icon to show that, hey, two th- new things happen, but you don't know if this is a new email from someone important or it's just a new spam, stuff like that. So there are very useful innovations in the tile concept, but this this push to be alive with activity and just the ones they showed are constantly cycling through these seven pictures of models or pictures of of things. That's not useful. That's, that's distracting. That's, I guess it's good for a demo, but I would not want that on my tablet. I'd rather have it static, updating with interesting information, not scrolling. Because, of course, they all animate. Like the pictures don't just change. They like fade from one to the other or scroll upwards like blinds uh, changing or whatever. I bet
0: you like the Elcars interface a little bit better. The what? Cars interface.
1: Elcars. Yeah, from right. Star Trek. I don't even know what that is. See, you're you're way beyond my Star Trek knowledge. I am not. I'm not a Star Trek nerd. I I'm a, I know. I think I know the interface talking about them with all those sort of like solid lines with making curved rectangles, and little and skinny
0: fonts, and yeah.
1: Uh, so uh, another point that was made about these tiles is that they are single hit targets. It's not like you can interact. They're not like little apps. Like you know when you go to dashboard, you have a widget and there's a bunch of controls on it and buttons and things and you can fiddle with them even though these tiles are filled with stuff and animating and have lots of text and other stuff, there's just one hit target there. You put your finger on it and the whole thing is selected. You can't interact with it in tile form. So they're trying to keep things simple in that respect. you can look at it, but it's not interactive. Mm -hmm. You have to launch the app to do something with it. Uh, Now, all of this sort of making iOS look old, uh, not looking like a computer stuff is most interesting because... Lurking underneath all that stuff is the Windows desktop. And occasionally they pull away the covers, and you're like, "Oh my god, what is that?"
0: Well, and that was the question I actually had: is it is it beneath it, or is it a separate app it's, that gets launched?
1: It's semantics of you know, is it always you know? The, well, the, I, I mean, the key is point it, is the key point that I think is that it's it's not always running. Like that environment is not always running, right? All right, so when it is running, is it is underneath, on top of, blah blah. blah it's just you know, it's the same Windows kernel. That's running everything it's just you know there are very few processes in this windows environment is one of them uh so the, the point i want to make aesthetically is when they when they pull back that curtain and show show the hideous underbelly of windows like they were showing all this nice stuff where everything is aligned all the text based lines are aligned and all the the graphics are beautiful and and the typography is beautiful and there's animations and everything is smooth and evenly spaced out. And then they, they he had to jump back for a second to show, like, here's where you're gonna build your apps. So this is Visual Studio, right? And he shows Visual Studio as like an open dialogue box. And it, like you're back to the world where everything is poorly spaced, all the, the, the fonts are tiny and skinny and invisible, and just the controls are ugly and there's gradients everywhere. Just the spacing alone it just kills me. Like if you look at a window screenshot, the controls and the white space around them is just like arbitrary. It's like someone puked a bunch of controls onto your screen. And certainly Visual Studio is like that too. You know, that's it's such a contrast between that world where microsoft was like nah, you know, just make sure the controls are there make sure you can do this and i don't care if that graphic is from 10 years ago and it's 16 colors and uh, throw a gradient on that yeah it looks nice that's what the people like gradients now maybe reflection you can make it blurry and transparent anyway just just throw it all on there that world is so different from this metro world yeah uh, and it's such a contrast when you see them on, on the same device and I don't know. I couldn't tell if the guy was disgusted to have to show Visual Studio. <laughs> it was just like he was like gung-ho for like, I'm Mr. Metro. He was very enthusiastic about Metro and the way things should be done. Uh, he seems like he would fit right in an Apple. Yeah, right. Then he had, then he had to show that other thing that's underneath there. Uh, now, he, he, went, he was showing Visual Studio because he's like, here's what, when you build a Metro app. Check this out. Look, this is what you start with. You start with a template a template has a bunch of boxes laid out with you and all your text baselines are already aligned and this is where the title of your app goes and you know here are your margins and so on and so forth and obviously like i mean xcode has templates too templates are like to help you get started it's not as if you're locked into doing things according to these templates it's just trying to give you a leg up but when i see that i have to think like oh, is that is that going to be kind of constraining for people or like because is your choice to use one of these templates or just go all on your own and then make a crappy thing so when I see templates, I'm like, does that mean there's going to be a bunch of cookie cutter applications all using this template that all look exactly the same except for the content of the tiles? You know, text here, image here, a bunch of tiles that you swipe back and forth on. Is that going to be it? Uh, it? It made me think that whoever came up with all these templates and they sort of, you don't have to do it, we can do it for you, understands Microsoft's historical weakness that their developers make crappy apps. Now, not bad, like, you know, they're not... like, But from... From a perspective of an Apple person, like they—they're not—they don't have the Apple attention to detail. They don't—they don't have the Metro attention to detail. Basically, like all these things, this philosophy of Metro, in, in terms of design, aesthetic, and adherence to a particular uh, system for the way things should look and behave, is very, very Apple-like. And historically, Windows applications have not been like that. Developers can do whatever the hell they want, and they do. And it seemed like all of the developers who really cared about every single pixel of their applications were not on Windows. They were on the Mac platform or uh, you know, some other platform where it, that, for whatever reason, draws those type of pe- pe- people to that. So Metro... It, even if Metro was like the best thing ever, Microsoft faces the challenge of either taking their current stable developers and changing their value system the same way Microsoft seems to have changed its value system, or at least within the Metro team. Microsoft's value system is very different for Metro than for the rest of Windows. They have to either get their existing developers at this conference to change their value system to behave more like Apple developers sweating over every pixel like, you know, Panic or Icon Factory or something. Or they have to recruit new developers from other platforms who already have that philosophy and attract them to theirs. And I think Metro being so interesting and different and so designery will help them attract the new people maybe the templates and all of this, like, you no, know, you don't have to do it for you. We'll, here, here's a template. Here's just, you just, you just give us the image. You just, a lot of, a lot of interface and metros like that. You give us the image, you give us the text, we will lay it out for you. It's like, we don't trust you to <laughs> take this box and lay out your content. And whereas, for example, Interface Builder on the Mac, you can just drag out a button, drag out it. Now there's guidelines snapping to the Aqua Grid guidelines, but Apple is more or less trusting Mac developers to make a pleasing dialog box, which can be difficult, very difficult to relay out those controls. So there. You know, easy to find, easy to scan, and visually appealing. The guides help, but you you don't ignore the guides. You've all seen Mac apps that have, like, a poorly laid out dialogue box. You're like, oh, geez, who made this thing? But by and large, the best Mac apps are not like that. And the best Windows apps, even the ones made by Microsoft, are still like that, pretty crappy. So, Hmm. they had a slide near the end, which was Metro Design Principles. And the number one Metro Design Principle, which I thought was very revealing, and, uh, and it goes back to what we were just talking about, the number one Metro design principle, it's pride and craftsmanship. Hmm. The fact that that's number one, I would have been insulted if I was in that audience. Like, what are you trying to say? You're trying to say we're making Windows apps, we're just making crap, we don't care what we make, we have no pride, <laughs> no craftsmanship, we just want to make the, you know, fill in the form, blah, 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 hit the button and the thing works? <laughs> that was their number one. Can you imagine Apple going to uh, WWDC and say, the number one principle of Mac OS what we're telling you developers, when you make your apps, have this in mind is, Have pride in what you do. Yeah, pride and craftsmanship. Everyone in WRC thinks they're making the best app in the world, and they're going to kill themselves to try to make it the best app in the world. That's a great point. Maybe less so with like iOS apps, you know, with with big game companies sending some random team to make it. But historically speaking, pride and craftsmanship has not been the problem on the Mac platform, certainly, (laughs) or on the iOS platform. Uh, Well said. iOS that has led in sort of since it's been the gold rush. There is a lack of pride of craftsmanship from the crap apps in in the iOS store, like. People churning out 50 applications, bogus fraud applications, or just they just want to have something on iOS. That has definitely lowered the pride and craftsmanship. But those aren't like, those are outsiders, you know, from the perspective of someone who's been this, in this community for a long time. It's like the Mac developers and the next developers definitely have pride and craftsmanship. And iOS, just because it's been so successful, has, has attracted the other people. But Microsoft is talking to its humongous installed base of Windows developers, saying, have pride in craftsmanship and the other ones were be fast and fluid uh do more with less and a bunch of other stuff like that but the pride and craftsmanship one really got me
0: you know who's got a lot of pride and craftsmanship for real i bet you'll tell me shopify.com the internet's most elegant customizable and affordable hosted e-commerce platform you can take advantage of shopify's thriving theme and application community which is all about craftsmanship let you add depth and beauty to your site and you can customize your own storefront using HTML and CSS and JavaScript if you like, but no Perl. And uh, for a limited time, usually they, they have this thing where it's like uh, one month for free. And I said, listen, that one month, that's not special. That's, uh, who cares about one month? I want three months and I want all of my listeners to get three months. And they said, there's no way we can do three months. Can't do it. We could do, we can do 40 days. I said, that's, forget it you know, get out of here. I don't care. We're we're done. We're done here. And I got up from the table. I walked out and they ran after me and said, fine, fine. We will do three months free for your listeners. They have to use the special code though. I said, fine, what's the code? And they said, five by five. And I looked at them and I stuck out my hand. I said, let's make it. Let's make this a reality right now. And they said, you got it. Shopify.com code is five by five, three months free.
1: Should uh, have added a part, but they had to go to their manager.
0: I got, I have to ask my manager. Right, I that. could ask my, and they go back. No, that's not how it went down. I'm not going to lie. All right.
1: Yeah. Okay. Your story. God, I got so much more of this Windows eight stuff. I well, so let me other- ask
0: you this. Let me let me cut, cut to the chase here.
1: I'm when, not going to skip the stuff. I'm going to save it for another show. You
0: know. No. Go. No. That's please. Please do. All right. Go ahead. What's the verdict here on this? Uh, do do you. Do you think Windows 8 Metro is going to make any Mac users say, "Well, I, I guess I can finally go back to Windows now"? I mean, what? How does this affect Windows in general? Not from mainly, it sounds like what you've been talking about as a developer standpoint, because obviously that's that's what you and and certainly I and probably our audience are, are interested in. But is this going to revitalize? I uh, mean, because look look at what macOS 10 did maybe not 10.0, but certainly subsequent versions, and maybe 10.02, look at what macOS 10 did for Apple. Uh, is this Metro going to do that for Windows, for the PC platform, do you think? Because think about this. Metro isn't just competing with uh, macOS 10. It's competing with older versions of Windows, and it's also competing with things like Linux and, and everything else that's out there. What What is this going to do? Is, is this what microsoft has been waiting for and i will i will uh, add a, a rider question onto that question which is why not just call it metro when there are no more windows as as asked by john gruber
1: go All right, so the impression i get from the apple thing and the mac os 10 is not so much that mac os 10 revitalized or brought new people to the Mac platform. It's a little bit different in that what, what Mac OS 10 did, first of all, was it brought the next people to the Mac platform. There was next people and there was Mac people and the, the Mac people were small and the next people were vanishingly small and it brought those two groups together. But the the, the makeup of those two groups was very similar. Those are the people who had obsessive pride and craftsmanship. The Mac people were very arty. The The next people were kind of technical. But the reason they were using these really low market share obscure platforms is because the particular technical and artistic attributes of them were attractive enough that they were willing to forego, you know, developing for Windows, developing for the big platform where they could make way more money. And, you know, so that was the content of the Mac and Next communities before the advent of Mac OS 10. And those people were trying to make good apps. They were trying to make good next apps and the Mac people were trying to make good Mac apps. And and they they were, but it was kind of like toiling in obscurity, right? So, when Mac OS X came along and Apple found a way to start selling its hardware to more people and to, you know, to get out, to reverse the the PR death spiral that the company was in and the financial death spiral, which triggered the PR death spiral to make it so that, you know, is Apple, are they still in business changing that to be, hey, Apple, have you seen this new Apple computer in the iMac? It's blue. You know, they, that <laughs> reversal... getting people in the door to buy Macs and trying to, you know, make the company viable, make it successful and grow the platform at the same time as combining the tiny little pool of next people and the slightly less tiny pool of Mac developers, suddenly those guys had a bigger audience. And lo and behold, you know, like, when the users came along, they would say, look at all these great apps for this for this platform that I'd never heard of before. And this this is a really nice-looking app. I like this. Look at this FTP app, this transmit thing. This is much nicer than whatever I was using on Windows. How did this thing get here? Well, those guys were already there. They were making that app before you even heard of the iMac, before the iMac even existed, before you would even... When you thought Apple was out of business, they were making apps, you know? Uh, so it kind of gave the team, the, the Apple Mac Next team... And eventually the iOS did the same thing. It gave that team someplace to, to sell its wares. But we already had the team. Like, same thing when iOS came along. It was like, all right, anybody who was really into Mac Toolbox and couldn't make the transition to Coco has pretty much faded out by now. So it's just a bunch of Coco guys. And we're going to do iOS, which is very Coco-like. And UIKit is very much like AppKit, but a little bit better. And we shaved off the edges. And it's made by the same guys who learned the lessons of, of AppKit. And you guys are familiar with that stuff. You know the tools. You know the language. Here's this mobile platform, Go. Same team, even bigger audience and, and people love. it. Now we got this other developer base of like once the audience gets to a certain size, then the people making the crap apps start coming out. You know, the game cheat code, keyword spamming, piece of crap, crashy thing. You know, the hundred thousand apps in the app store, a hundred million or however many. I don't even know how many there are now. So much of those are crap just because so much of everything is crap. But the good ones are really good. Now, Microsoft. What a team, it, it's got a team too. It's got a humongous team. It's got the guys who make Windows software. That's their team, right? That's it. I don't know if that team is ready to make apps, uh, to make Metro apps to the quality that Microsoft wants them to. Because if they were, they'd be making much better Windows apps than they are now. Now I'm sure there are great Windows apps out there too, but like even the very best of the best Windows apps Maybe they're held back by the toolkit. Maybe it's just that Windows controls and the, the, the tools that they're given. It's just like they can't change the system font and the system font is a little bit too small and the, the official spacing is a little bit tight and the, where the buttons are supposed to go and the, per, the prevalence of wizards. I don't know what's making Windows apps crappy from the perspective of a Mac user and more confusing and less pleasing from the perspective of a regular consumer than you know, an iPad app or an iOS app or anything like that. Maybe, maybe you give that team... This toolkit, maybe they do make great apps. I don't know. But the Mac guys had a crappy toolkit when they were doing classic Mac OS. Like, that thing was way past its sell-by date, and they were still making great apps with those horrible tools. And, you know, MetroWorks was like a breath of fresh air for them using, like, MPW, uh, Macintosh Programmers Workshop, and Mr. C, and, like, you know, they were still able to make great apps that we all loved, even given that horrible environment. So I don't know if the team Microsoft's got is up to the challenge of making the apps that they want. So that leaves, you know, sort of fine. So pull somebody else, pull some other team. Now, Apple benefited greatly by getting the next team, both internally, the people who work for Next became Apple people who ran the show, basically, from then on, technically. And then the next developers, you know, got to develop applications and became the great Mac and the great iOS developers. Microsoft didn't acquire anybody who has a little stable of great developers, as far as I know. Maybe, like... I don't know. Maybe the danger guys. I think that whole thing went bad with the whole kin. Mm. So I don't know how many of those guys are still there. But then, out in the third party world, like, have they acquired any other community of developers? I don't think so. Uh, so they have to they have to poach. They have to. I mean, they have to pull Mac developers. You know, pull iOS developers. It would be great if they could do that. Uh, do they want to pull Android developers? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe if what they're looking for is a beautiful minimal interface according to a strict set of standards that are very limited, maybe they don't maybe they don't want those guys. Uh, so that's that, that I think is their, their first, oh, the second challenge. The second challenge is how the hell are we going to get people to make the apps that we want because they're, they're pushing hard. They know what they want. They know the kind of apps they want and they're, they're really hoping that their community developers, all those guys in the audience there will do it for them. And if they can't do that, they got to start poaching. Uh, their first challenge, number one, or maybe number zero, is they have they have to execute and ship. This is, you know, I don't know what the schedule is. I think it's like a year from now they say they're going to be ready. They got to execute, 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 and ship. Ship and execute and update. Don't do what they did with Windows Phone, which was ship and then, like, promise you're going to have an update that does copy and paste and, like, do nothing for months and months and months. They have to get it done, get it bug-free, and ship it and then ship the next version, then ship the next version, ship the next version. They have to do, you know, they have to do the Apple thing. They they have to do that. They have to execute. So assuming they execute, then their second challenge, like I said, is to get developers, get people to write the great apps. Can they poach from the the world of iOS and Mac developers? I think they have a legitimate shot. Uh, I think a Mac developer or an iOS developer will be more inclined to say, you know what, I'm going to try another version of this app, and actually I'm going to make it a Windows 8 version. I, I have been resisting a port to Android, but I'm going to try I'm going to try that. Like, I thought of this one. They showed some slide of saying, uh, we didn't even get into contracts, maybe we'll do the next show, but about the contracts thing and some other type of things you can imagine doing in Windows 8. Uh, they were saying, what kind of applications might use the feature X, Y, and Z? And one of the ones I listed was read it later services. And I thought of Marco, who has thus far not wanted to do an Android version of that app. Uh, maybe he'd be more inclined to do some sort of Windows 8 integration for Instapaper than he would for Android just because the tools are better and the platform owner is more friendly and it's not, it's like kind of desktop, you know, it's kind of this weird hybrid interface. You're not doing it on the phone, you're doing it in a larger thing. And like basically also, you know, it's, it's more interesting than Android because it's not just a, a pale imitation of what Apple's doing. And potentially, potentially, there's a big base out there, bigger than Android. But if you, if you, if if Microsoft can convert its entire desktop PC base to running Windows 8, suddenly this work that you've done can run on every PC in the world, basically, except for Macs. Right? And, and by the way, also tablets and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. I think they have a legitimate shot of pulling some people over. Now, what those people's experience is like, like, oh, so we decided to make a Windows 8 port and it was a horrible experience because the tools were bad or the whole thing was buggy. That's not good. Or we decided to make a Windows 8 port, but... It was pointless because Microsoft could not sell like they couldn't get people to upgrade from Windows 7 they couldn't get people off XP they couldn't sell enough of these devices running Windows 8 whatever the problem was like they once they pull those two or three or four guys over maybe they have to throw a little money there right whatever they have to do and they have to make that experience beneficial like we did an Android port it was a big hassle and we got nothing we did a Windows 8 port and it was a much nicer experience and we've seen some financial reward from it or it was a fun experience or I like the end result I think it's cooler I've got a Metro tablet And it's, it's fun for me to use and I like it and I never launched the windows desktop part of it, you know? So I I forget at this point, I, I've forgotten what your original question was, but I hope I've answered it.
0: Well, I think you did. I think you more than did. Um, oh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where they go with this. I mean, it's, it's a year
1: away though, right? Nine months or is it a year? Yeah, that's that's just like I said. It's the Microsoft way. They're the showing way. The stuff, so showing stuff early. I think I think they had to because otherwise, you know, everyone had written Microsoft off already, and this gave them new life. Uh, hopefully, we don't forget about them in a year, and hopefully, they'll keep the the flow of PR going to say, yeah, no, we're really doing this. It's actually going to ship. Have and they done it, Have it,
0: they done that before, come out with something, announced it, and then sort of forgotten about it and not shipped it? They've done that with some no, tablet I mean, like, things, right? I
1: mean, the public forgetting about it. Yeah. Like, because they're not in our face reminding us that they're going to do this thing. Now, sometimes Microsoft has also done it in our face. Yeah, the slates and stuff like that. Like right. They shut up about it because they realized it was going nowhere. But this is, a, this is just a this big, is too big This is big. This is Windows 8. Like Windows 7, they were kind of in our face about. Like, here's the new Windows. Like And Windows 8 is, this is way bigger than Windows 7. So I think they will keep reminding us that they're going to do it. And, and they had to say something early because if they didn't say if, if they waited till the end of this year to do what they just did now, we'd be like, oh, too little, too late. Yeah, it may, it may already be too late in terms of the tablet market. We'll see, but uh, it's Microsoft style: show show it early, and you know, do what you got to do to get people excited about it. And I do have way more Windows 8 stuff. So people who do not want to hear more about Windows 8, the next show will also probably you know I, the original topic of the show was going to be what ails Microsoft. Maybe I'll get to that at the end of the Windows 8 stuff. So this, this is going to be a little run of Microsoft stuff. I know people didn't like it when I did two or three shows in a row about programming. This is going to be two or three shows in a row talking about Microsoft because this is definitely I, I can't wait for that. The most interesting thing happening in this, this space right now, I think. That's it, though.
0: That's it for today, I think. And wrap it up. Yep. Well, you can follow John on Twitter. Just as simple. It's simple to do this. It's just Syracusa. S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A. There's no Z in that. I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter. You can read a lot of John's writing over at uh, Ars Technica. Your best stuff is there, really. I think. My only stuff, practically. Well.
1: let's stuff on Macworld, too. A couple of other obscure things. Yeah,
0: don't downplay that. Yeah. Sometimes, John, can be heard on other podcasts, such as uh, The Incomparable, or Incomparable, as you say, uh, which is a great show.
1: A lot be of fun. Heard, you
0: can be heard over there with Jason Snell and a whole bunch of other excellent uh, Mac nerds. But that's about it. syracuse saw on Twitter. No Z. And, uh, and that's it. If you like this show, please consider going to iTunes. Signing in and rating it. That is uh, really the best way to keep it. it ke- in very much the same way that we are hoping that Microsoft uh, will do something great here and and, uh, and they are hoping that we pay attention by keeping it in in uh, on the radar, you can go to iTunes and keep this show on the radar by rating it. It's great that you rated it before. Thank you. If you haven't rated it, shame on you, and please go now and, and rate it.
1: Also, what I would suggest is, so I obsessively read the reviews. If you don't want to write a review, whatever. But there's these little buttons next to every review that says, so was this review helpful? Yes, no. And there's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy effect where after two or three people, like when there was like three reviews, someone came in and clicked on uh, they read the three reviews and one of them was like the review they liked the best. So they clicked this was helpful. Yeah, the helpful yes, no is bad phrasing. What it really is, is do you agree with this review? Yes, no. So if it's a if it's a bad review and you think the show is bad, you say you agree and vice versa. Uh, so the first few reviews up there, a lot of people, not a lot of people, like ten or 15 people clicked on the, you know, yes, this review was helpful. That has been the number one review, because it's sorted by which is most helpful. That's been the number one review since the inception of the show. And it only has like 10 or 15 clicks. So there are, I don't know how many reviews, maybe 100, 200, something like that. But the number one review has 10 of the, this has been most helpful things. So if you just want to go through the review, this is boring. Who, Who else is motivated to read the views except for the people on the show? But it would be nice. I thought, I thought there'd be more churn in terms of what the top review is. So if you, if you go through the reviews and find one that you either agree with or you actually think is helpful or whatever, you, however you want to interpret that, click the yes or no link to either push reviews up or down in the list of reviews. Because on, on the web interface in iTunes, they just show you like the top two or three reviews. And those never change despite the fact that at the tail end of those reviews, if you sort by most recent and go to the last page uh, or go to the first page you'll see people are writing reviews all the time. And I read every single one of those. So thank you for everybody who is writing reviews because I do read them, but no one else is going to see them because that's 20 pages back and no one ever goes 20 pages back and hits on the little, yes, this is helpful thing to make it bubble up to the top. So if you're an obsessive fan of the show and looking for something to do and you like clicking, go read through some of the reviews and click on the ones that you think are well-written, agree with what you agree with, or if you want to write your own review, get your friends to all click on the, yes, this was helpful. You only need like 10 or 20 things to suddenly bubble up to be the number one review in the list of reviews, uh, I think that one has like 17, yes, this was helpful or something. So uh, give that a try. I like that.
0: All right, and go check out our two sponsors, campaignmonitor.com slash templates and shopify.com using the code 5 by 5 And we'll be back next week. And we'll, we will announce, will we announce when we're doing the Goodfellas thing, will we announce ahead of time so that people can watch it if they haven't or re-watch it if they haven't seen it in a while? They just, yeah, they, we should have been you, you, smart because they just had it on, was it A&E? They just had it on. But see, you can't watch that. You've got to watch I got, the... i got the
1: DVD. You can't watch it with commercials. Yeah, you can't watch but
0: commercials. You can't watch with the editing.
1: I've got an HD version of it, too, and I have the DVD. So, All right. we're good to go. And yeah, we will announce it even if we've already recorded it. We'll just hold it back and you know, so we can announce it and then put it out.
0: Well, and I guess the difference is since it's not going to be part of this show... People can know that, oh, it's a special thing, it has a thing, and then they, they go, they and we can say in the beginning, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. And you said, for, for a lot of people will listen to this and say, no, Dan, don't do a review. Don't review it later. Do a Mystery Science 3000 thing and talk talk. Nobody along with it. Nobody will say that. That's what you no, want. No, they said that in the chat room already today, John. Who said that? I didn't see that. It was in there in the chat room.
1: Well, we know that you want that, but I don't.
0: I do want that, and I think it would be fine to do that, and so... And everybody who would like to do that... No, not fair. anyone who would not like that... <laughs> I think everybody who wants it... If you don't want it, don't bother to write in. But if you do want it, write in. And if no, we get hundred no of those... How, but
1: the silent majority doesn't want MSD3K... The, the reason MSD3K style doesn't work for people who are asking for it is that, I think we've discussed this before, as something happens on the screen that you want to discuss, if your explanation is long-winded, like mine always are, and rambling... By the time you're done talking about the thing you wanted to talk about, you missed six other oh, things. Oh, then that just here's what off. you
0: do. You, you t- I agree. I agree. And my answer is a subpar answer, or as you would say, a piss poor answer. But here's what you do you, you say, okay, hit pause. Everybody hit pause. And they have to hit pause. But, but say, that's that not how work. MST3K works.
1: MST3K is prepared comedic statements, time to make one We could rehearse it. We could rehearse it. Let's oh, rehearse no, it. No, 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 no. We're, <laughs> we're going to watch the movie just like the Bond stuff. It's going to be right. like the Bond. It's what you've done before. It's what we're going to do this week. All time. right. You win. Yes, we, I mean, really I like to little, thing, Yes, did you do a little it, fist yes. pump or something? Uh, I tinted my fingers. Excellent. <laughs> if, if you really want to do an MST three K thing, like on the Incomparable, they tried to do an MST three K thing. They actually did a, a Rift Tracks thing uh, yeah. for a movie, and it was funny. And I, I was thinking of participating, but that's hard, man. That is I tried. Hard. I tried to like write jokes. Time to it was only a twenty minute uh, movie video thing. That is hard. I could come up with nothing, and the people who did it did a great job, but I, that is not my skill set.
0: All right, so we won't do that. We'll just review it. We'll give people a heads up when it's coming. We'll record it. I'm going to record it soon. The movie's not
1: going anywhere, but yeah. Uh, you no, know we got to... There's a vibe going on Night, right now. Nights Good and weekends, vibe. Dan. Nights and weekends. I do weekends. Oh, you say that, but we never do. Nights and weekends. I do all my rolls at 11 p.m. Are you a persuasive guy or just sort of kowtow to things? Uh, neither.
0: Because if you can persuade my wife to let me cut out about... I need about... Three to never four hours. Some, never
1: ask someone else to persuade your wife of anything. Believe me. Three to four hours. Does she go to bed? Well, you got a baby. I don't even know how you're doing no, this. Sh- I have no. I. I don't. I have no advice for you. in that.
0: <laughs> now here's what here's what's going to have to happen. I need about three or four hours because I got to watch the movie at least once, maybe twice, and then we got to record about it. I know. That's.
1: I, I, I understand. baby. A lot I, of can't, I can't imagine doing it if I had a newborn here either. Just and yet,
0: there. and yet, here I am doing shows, and I have to. I have to do this one. I'm very excited about this one, especially seeing it again. Rekindled my interest. It's been a long time since I watched it. We got to do this. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back next week. Have a good one, John. You
1: too.